0: Together with thankful hearts, and I will not be anxious. Cause Jesus, you are near the peace of God, the peace of God surrounding. casting out of here the hand that holds the heaven is the mighty hand that saves the voice that calms the stormy seas it's calling me by name And I'm singing in the victory The victory of the cross Resting in the shadow Of your redeeming love And I'm standing on the promise The promise of new life Cause I am yours forever And Jesus you are mine Oh Jesus you are mine When I've forgotten the fullness of your grace Let's sing this together When I have forgotten The fullness of your grace I remember Calvary Yes, I remember to sing it all. Sing that again. There is no one like you, God. No loving man. I'm standing on the promise, the promise of a new life, because I am yours forever. And Jesus, you are mine. Oh, Jesus, you are mine.
1: Please remain standing and let's read the Word of God together. This is just a portion of the text that we're studying today. And they said to Jesus, The disciples of John fast often, and they offer prayers, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees. But yours eat and drink. And Jesus said to them, Can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. He also told them a parable. He said, No one tears a piece from a new garment. ...and puts it into the old garment. If he does, he he will tear the new, and the piece from the new will not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins, and it will be spilled, and the skins will be destroyed. But new wine must be put into fresh wineskins. And no one, after drinking old wine, desires the new, for he says, "...the old is good." Father God, I pray this morning as you have led us this morning to study this passage and understand what you meant in these parables, that you would shatter our preconceived notions of what we're doing here this morning, and that we would be clear that this is all about you, and we are here to worship you, our Savior. We are here to make much of you, our great Messiah, our Redeemer. And that you have saved us with your redeeming love. And we want to praise you and worship you. And the, the songs that we sing bring no merit to us. They are about you and your merit that you have granted us by grace. And so we continue to lift you up and make much of you and to, and to bring glory to your great name. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.
0: Sing this with me. For God so loved the world That he gave his only Son And whosoever believes will not perish They shall have eternal life I shall hold to the cross I shall hold To the cross I shall hold To God alone For His love Has salvaged me For His love Has set me free God so loved For God so love the world That He gave His only Son And whosoever believes Will not perish They shall have eternal life I shall wait I shall wait upon the Lord. I shall wait upon his word and by his grace I am released and by his grace I thank you for that truth in Scripture, that whoever believes in the name of Jesus, Lord, will have eternal life with you in heaven. God, and we praise your name for that. We thank you for that gift that was uh, something that we did not deserve by any means from a holy God. Father, we praise you for that. We thank you for that. That's why we gather each week is to be reminded of that truth, to be reminded of your love for us that was on display through the cross of Jesus and his suffering, his death, and his conquering death, his resurrection, God. We praise you and we thank you for that. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray, amen.
1: Good morning. Today we're going to try to understand that cryptic passage. I've always been intrigued by this passage about the old cloth, the new cloth, the old wineskins, the new wineskins, and uh, it's been a lot of fun studying it. But in order to uh, prepare, I want to ask you, uh, let's play a little name uh, word association game. Y'all know where that is, where I, I say one word and you tell me the first thing that comes to mind. All right, that one word, tell me what's the first thing that comes to mind when I say Pharisee? Hypocrite? hypocrite. What? Same, hypocrite? What? Legal. Law? Legal. Legal? All right, so what was it? Self-righteous. Self-righteous. Okay, good. Y'all fell into my trap. That's exactly what I wanted y'all to say. Y'all are like, every time he plays this game, I know I'm going to lose. I don't have the mic. No. So, yeah, that's exactly what I would say that most people uh, feel when we say Pharisee, we have a negative connotation. I'm gonna challenge you a little bit about that opinion today. Um, I understand why we think that. It's because in the scriptures, just about every time Jesus is teaching the Pharisees or teaching something about or mentioning the Pharisees, it has a negative connotation. We have Luke recording for us several passages where he is teaching us, where they had gone wrong. But uh, I've done a lot of research, and several scholars, several commentaries on this text refer to the actual truth that is that for the most part, the Pharisees were very faithful and very sincere in their devotion to the Lord. The word, the term Pharisee literally means separated one. And so the Pharisees were very sincere in their devotion to the Lord. They were God-fearing people, and they had committed, they had uh, created a very complex religious system with a lot of rules and a lot of uh, religion, to use kind of modern-day terms, a lot of re- religion. But, but the for the most part, at least when they were founded and in most of the writings you can find about them, they were very. Uh, they did all this because of good things. They were trying to remain faithful. They were God-fearing. They wanted to be separate from the, the sinful practices of society. And they had all these religions, religious practices as a means of saying, these will help us remain God-fearing and live righteous lives. And so that's why they, they came up with a lot of these complex religious rules. Now, we do admit that that, that Jesus often is teaching, well, here's where you've gotten this wrong. But I want to kind of create this little more positive connotation towards them because I want us to relate to them today because really, as we look at this text today, I would say that we are in grave danger. We, Norse Ferry in particular... Are in grave danger of making the very same mistakes that they made. And I want to connect with them rather than sit back and say, well, this isn't really relevant to me because we're not like those Pharisees. We actually are very much like the Pharisees that got it right. They, like us, or we should, I should say, we, like them, have very sincere commitments and we are very sincere as a church. We try to take our our devotion to the Lord very seriously. In in a culture that seems to be downplaying the importance of church and and religion and faith and commitment and being held accountable to faithfulness and obedience and holiness, our culture seems to be downplaying that. And in that culture and over against that culture, we've built a church that says, we're gonna try to fight that because God is holy and God deserves glory in our lives and that we want to be a church that that helps each other sincerely be devoted to the Lord and to be separate from the sin that we see in our society. And so we have a church covenant when you join you sign a church covenant. That's countercultural. In our covenant we list out behaviors that we think the Bible says this is how we should live as Christians, that we should live this way, not this way. We should practice these religious practices. We should be in church worshiping God. We should be in a community group where brothers and sisters encourage one another to worship the Lord and live righteous lifestyles and, and to obey the Lord. We commit to all serve the Lord in various places. We commit to, to encourage one another to take the love of Christ outside the walls of the church from neighbors to nations. And, and so we have a set of religious rules, if you will. And we are sincere about those. And we, every member says, yeah, I'm on board with that. And I want you to encourage me towards that end. I would say the the Pharisees that got it right for the most part were, were along those lines. That was their desire in their requirements of fasting twice a week when the law only required it once a year. That was their desire behind the laws about the Sabbath is because God created the law about the Sabbath. And so they were very careful and very sincere in their practice of it. And so I want us to see that We are very, very likely, more so than most people in our community, to make the same mistakes that the Pharisees made. So let's ask the Lord to help us learn from their mistakes. Lord, I ask for your help this morning as we look at your word and we try to understand what you're saying to the Pharisees in this message. I pray that we in particular will be open to hear what you're teaching them and what you're teaching us this morning. We ask that your spirit will, will convict us and guide us and help us. And it's in Christ's precious name we pray. Amen. All right, well, let's begin reviewing where we left off last week. If you remember, Jesus called his first disciples, uh, Peter, James, and John. We looked at that one in great detail. And then, kind of at the end of the message, we briefly mentioned Levi, who's also Matthew. Most likely. Um, Levi's calling in particular had a little controversial scene at the end of it that I want to kind of revisit and pull that into our message today. We're looking at, at Matthew chapter 5, uh, verse 33, and technically I've written it through verse 11 of chapter 6, but we're really going to focus on chapter 5. But if you'll remember what happened last week, Jesus called Matthew or Levi, who was a tax collector. And he called him and it says that Luke records immediately he left everything followed Jesus and then he threw a big feast with all of his tax collector buddies and he gathered them around and Jesus is is eating with them spending time with them and these Pharisees have a question and they're like whoa 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 in verse 30 the second part he's they said why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need for a physician, but those who are sick. I have come, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repent. So the Pharisees are appalled that Jesus, this powerful, influential rabbi, that I think that as I've been studying Luke, I think that they're, they're buying in. Okay, Jesus just may be the Messiah. And now they're seeing him eating with tax collectors. And, and, and they're just like, wait a minute, this, this is not computing. And so in their sincere devotion, in their sincerity, they're saying why why are you eating with tax collectors in these sinners and so just let's pause for a moment and think about what are they saying i've read several scholars this week who said and they all use the same phrase that in their culture the most relevant comparison to modern day culture to what a tax collector was considered was the modern day pimp that's what they said they said pimp and gangbangers that's really what they said these tax collectors were like. They were, they were viewed like the lowest dregs of society because they were, were profiting off of the oppression of other human beings, of their own people. And, and like, like we understand pimps do, that they financially profit off of the oppression of primarily women who are in a bad place and they are profiting off of that and that's the kind of view that people had of these tax collectors who had betrayed their own people and were oppressing their own people and making a killing off of them by overcharging the taxes because it was allowed by the roman government that you can charge however much you want as long as you collect what we need you can do whatever you want to profit off of them and they were glad to do it. And apparently this group of tax collectors who were doing that were like just just a rough and tough group. They were like a gang. A gang of pimps. That's really the, the, what several scholars referred to them as. And so when Jesus is sitting down with them and eating with them, he's eating with that type of group of people add on to that the fact that in the jewish world to eat with someone was to was like an extension of their religious community it was extending a sense of community with them kind of like we share a meal or we used to share a meal pre-covid in community group it's it's a big part of having community together is eating together sharing your day together connecting at a at a more intimate level together it's saying hey you and i we we have something that we you belong we belong together that's what jesus was doing with these this gang of pimps and the pharisees who were thinking he just might be the messiah they've seen him sit down and teach isaiah said this that's fulfilled in your hearing today. They see him cast out demons. They see him healing people of physical ailments. They see his the authority of his teaching, and they're just getting left and right. They see people leaving everything. They see the miraculous catch of fish, and they see people leave everything and follow him, and they're saying, this just might be the Messiah. And then they see him eating with a gang of thugs. What are you doing, Jesus? Why do you eat with these thugs? sinners. And so I think that Jesus' answer, we see he doesn't really chastise them. He doesn't really say, You're, you got it all wrong. He explains. He says, those, again in verse 31, Jesus answered them, those who are well have no need for a physician, but those who are sick i have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repent. And so it doesn't seem to me that Jesus is really upset with them. He's just explaining that his mission includes going outside of the religious people. Jesus is saying, look, my mission, I have come to call these people that you're calling sinners. And when they were calling them sinners, they were basically saying they're not practicing our sincere devotion. They're not living like God-fearing people, and you are uniting with them. And Jesus clarifies his mission includes reaching these people and going to them and calling them to repentance. So these Pharisees must have thought that the Messiah was coming just for the insiders, just for the religious, just to build up those who were already God's people. Okay, so file that thought in your head. We're just going to keep working through these verses and try to build an understanding so that when we come to that point, parable those parables we say oh i see what now he's saying so file in your head the pharisees must have thought well maybe he's the messiah but if he is the messiah he wasn't coming to those kind of people he was coming to the people that of god all right so file that and let's keep going with verse 33 in verse 33 we get our our text primary text today he says and they said to him the disciples of john fast often and offer prayer offer prayers and so do the disciples of the pharisees but yours eat and drink and so now luke records something luke records someone asked this question when i first read it i assumed it was the pharisees we really don't know it doesn't I mean, it sounds a little weird that if a Pharisee asked the question, he said, well, I know the Pharisee's disciples fast, and I know that John's disciples fast, but why don't yours? So maybe it was someone sitting at the tax collector table who's asking this question. I don't know exactly who's asking the question, but they're asking the question either way about fasting. So they've already asked this question, why are you eating with those people? And now they're saying, and why don't your followers fast? And so what is fasting and what was fasting? Fasting was a very important part of their, their practice of sincere devotion to the Lord. The law required at least you should fast on the Day of Atonement, there was one day of a year that was a massive holy day where the priest, the great high priest, or the high priest, I should say, would go into the Holy Holy, sacrifice the blood of the unblemished lamb to cover the sins of the people. And on that day, there was a day of fasting. But in their sincerity, the Pharisee says, well, we're going to fast twice a week, not once a year. We see this later in Luke, that there's fasting and Jesus is going to tweak their understanding of it but they are sincerely asking if you're the messiah why don't your followers fast why don't you teach them to fast twice a week like like we've been doing and imagine if you were hanging out with a church member or let's just say it's me I don't like putting myself in a parallel comparison to Jesus I'm not doing that but as your pastor you you hear man i heard tracy's hanging out with some sketchy people a lot and he's like i think he's enjoying it i'm a little concerned about him and then another one says i know well i've been meeting with him weekly for months and we've been reading the bible together and we've been fasting and seeking the lord and he stopped he's not even fasting anymore you would be concerned you would say what's up something's going on i think that's more where the pharisees i want to put us the positive spin on them and say they genuinely are concerned with what they're seeing about jesus why is he not fasting well, apparently he's not fasting because his disciples aren't fasting why isn't teaching his his people these important religious practices that are very important for fostering devotion to the lord and very important to keeping us god-fearing well let's look at jesus reply in verse 34 jesus says to them can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. Now, I am acutely aware of what goes on at wedding times right now. My daughter's getting married next month. We had a shower, a couple shower yesterday. And what I can tell you is, as you already know, is it's not really about the wedding. It's about the reception. Now, for the bride, it's all about that wedding. But for the dad who's paying for everything, it's all about that reception. And I realized that's where the money comes, right? That's what it's all about. It's all about the reception. And so I would like to be the first in our church to start a new tradition. What the Pharisees want is a great idea. The reception should be a couple of hours of fasting. (laughs) Right? We're going to fast for hours because the groom has arrived and we're going to grieve the arrival of the groom and the giving of our daughter right but that's really what what jesus is saying in this analogy he's saying look when the groom arrives it's not time to fast it's time to celebrate it's time to eat it's not time to fasten the belt it's time to loosen the belt and get those expansion pants on because we're going to eat we're going to dance we're going to drink we're going to praise god the, the groom came and the bride has re- the groom has received his bride and she's off the payroll it's time to celebrate it's not a time to fast and that's what jesus is saying is you don't you don't want me you don't understand fasting the way i understand fasting because he's saying you don't fast when the groom has arrived. And so now the, the Pharisees view of fasting is being challenged. They've already been challenged on their view of outsiders. And now they're being challenged on their view of fasting. Whatever they thought about fasting. It didn't make sense to stop fasting. Just because the groom is there. Or the Messiah is there. So either... They didn't think jesus was the messiah or they had a different understanding of they weren't connecting their fasting to the messiah i tend to think that they're they're teetering on this idea that maybe jesus is the messiah but they just didn't have the same view of connecting their fasting to the messiah and so jesus says fasting is all about the messiah that when the messiah is here It doesn't make sense to fast because your fasting should be preparing you for the arrival of the Messiah. Your fasting, your religion, should be a practice that is longing for the arrival of the Messiah and that is grieving the separation or the delay of the Messiah. And so when the Messiah shows up, it's time to celebrate. And then he says, now look, when he leaves again, referring to his cross and burial and resurrection and then ascension he says then it'll be a time to fast again he said but when the messiah is here we should celebrate not fast so let's just think about what we've seen so far we've seen the pharisees for the most part if we give them more benefit of the doubt they're they're sincere in their devotion a lot like us, trying to be sincere, that their, religious is, their religion is trying to set careful boundaries and careful practices that were designed to keep foster a devotion for the Lord. But then we see Jesus challenging them, and we've seen that maybe over time they've started to get it wrong, and they've started to view their, their religion as a wall, or as boundaries to say that you're outsiders, you sinners, you tax collectors and we're insiders and and Jesus is here for us not for y'all. And then when we think about the fasting if if their fasting didn't if it didn't make sense for them for the Messiah to come and make that connect their fasting to that then their fasting was more about those walls, those religious duties that they were doing that the outsiders weren't doing. And so what's going on? Well, let's look at Jesus' second reply that he gives to these parables in verse 36. In verse 36, he gives parable. It says, he also told him a parable. He says, no one tears a piece from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. If he does, he'll tear the new, and the piece from the new won't match the old. So, well, let's just keep reading, 37. And then he says another parable. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins, and it will be spilled, and the skins will be destroyed. But new wine must be put into fresh wineskins and no one after drinking old wine desires new for he says the old is good or that could be translated the old is better all right so so what is jesus saying in this parable and how does it relate to what's been going on in the text and what happens in the following text the clear thing we can see is the old and the new are not compatible completely incompatible in his parable you've got old cloth you got new cloth And trying to put the old on the new is completely incompatible. You might say, oh, this old one is valuable, but I'm going to, there's a patch that needs to be, there's a hole, and so I'm going to take this new one, I'm going to cut it out, ruins the new, and I'm going to try to sew it onto the old but when the old and the new are at different fabrics they're different qualities a different age it's going to pull apart and so the 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 old is going to be ruined and you're going to ruin the new in the process they're completely incompatible you can't take the old and force it onto the new same thing with the wineskins wineskins were just the vessels or jugs that they poured their wine into Old wineskins are, are hardened and brittled. They're valuable because they have a lining on the inside that has a preservation value to the wine. But if you put new wine, which has not fermented, when it ferments, it expands. And when it expands, if it's in an old wineskin, the old wineskin won't expand with it. It's not flexible. So if you put the new wine in and it expands when it ferments, it'll explode the old wineskin. skin so it says you can't do that they're incompatible you got to put new wine in new wine skins which is still flexible and malleable and when it ferments and expands that new wine skin will expand with it so you can't put the new into the old they are completely incompatible And that's what he's saying with this parable. So we have to ask, well, what are the new and what are the old? And the first time you come to this parable, if you're like me, you think, well, that's old covenant, new covenant. How many of you thought that? You don't have to raise your hand, but yeah, that's what I thought too. And we're all dead wrong together. Why? Because the Bible makes it clear that the new covenant is absolutely compatible with the old covenant in fact the new covenant is the perfect fulfillment of the old covenant everything in the old covenant was designed so that when the jesus arrives and ushers in the new covenant it is the full bloom blossom of the old covenant bud it is absolutely compatible the old covenant had laws and religious Rights and uh, regulations that were to be done, and every one of those were to tee up faithful Jews and faithful participants to accept the Messiah when he arrives. The sacrificial system was a part of the Old Covenant. It was the slaughtering of an unblemished lamb. When I read all this, you're gonna, when I say all this, you're gonna hear Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. It was the sacrificial of an unblemished lamb. The great high priest was to go into the holies of holies and sacrifice the blood of the lamb to cover the sins of the people. And this was to be repeated year after year. And they were to come and humbly offer their sacrifice beseeching god to forgive them of their sins based on the provision that he provided the blood of a lamb and as they do this year after year it should foster john the baptist says jesus behold the lamb of god who takes away the sins of the world and they would say ah there's the messiah the new covenant perfectly fulfills the old they are compatible the whole the purity laws that we looked at a couple of weeks ago where Luke showed Jesus saying, I will, you are clean. Go show the priest that you can be fit for worship. The purity laws were designed to say that we are sinful people and we need the Messiah to cleanse us and make us fit for worship. Jesus shows up and he's cleansing people and making them fit for worship. The Messiah is here. The new perfectly fulfills the old. Well then what is this talking about? The new can't be put into the old because it explodes the old. That's why this is a challenging parable for me and so i looked and i studied and what we see is the only thing that makes sense is that the old is the pharisees misunderstanding and misapplication of the old and so jesus is saying you can't squeeze me into your religious system because you've missed the point that's the, that's the meaning of this parable. So where did they go wrong? Well, they had turned their old covenant law, they had, they had turned their religion, all that I just described to you of the sacrificial system, the purity laws and all these things that were supposed to foster faith in the coming of the Messiah, that was supposed to increase their desire for the coming of the Messiah, they had turned their old covenant law into their Messiah. They had turned their religion into their Savior. They had turned their religious practices into the very thing that they put their trust in to be made right with God. And what happens When you do that, what happens when we start to say the church covenant, the Lord's Supper, baptism, my service to the church, my community group attendance, my faithfulness to the covenant my my practice of my religion my how many times i read the bible this week how much i give in the offering plate what happens when we start to say that's what makes me right with god what happens we say those outsiders aren't doing that how dare them we start judging the outsiders and we start looking at each other and go why why aren't you fasting why aren't you obeying the covenant what's wrong you are you're not really one of us we start judging we start becoming legalistic which is a way of saying that it's not just Jesus, it's Jesus plus what I do that makes me right with God and if I'm doing that, then I'm looking at others and saying they're not doing enough and that's what we see happening they judge the tax collectors because the tax collectors did not clean themselves up with religion first they judged Jesus' disciples because they were not practicing their religious fasting enough They were missing the joy of Jesus' presence. They didn't think, Jesus is here, let's celebrate. All they could think of is, why aren't you fasting enough? Their religion became their Messiah. I don't have time to cover 6, 1 through 11, but in 6, 1 through 11, we have two more examples where Luke records two Sabbath events in the first one, Jesus and his disciples eat on the Sabbath, and they get all up worked up. What are you doing eating on the Sabbath? And his point of that one is, I'm Lord of the Sabbath. The Sabbath was to prepare you for the arrival of the Messiah. The Messiah is here, and all you can do is worry about your religion. The religion was supposed to prepare you for the Messiah. You're not worried about Jesus anymore you're worried about your rules and then the next Sabbath is they're upset that Jesus heals someone on the Sabbath how dare you heal him how dare you heal this sick person and so they're more concerned about their rules than they are about Jesus and taking Jesus and Jesus healing others So I think when you look at all these events that Luke records about Jesus surrounding this parable, we see that's the point. They, the old that is incompatible with Jesus is that they had turned their religion into a ladder of righteousness. And what is Jesus saying to us if he says, if you think that your religion, your covenant If you think that makes you right with God, don't even think about trying to squeeze me into that because I will blow it up. So the point for us today is this. Our church covenant, our commitment to attendance and being faithful and living holy lives does not make us righteous only jesus makes us righteous our commitment to faithfulness and attendance and service and worship and prayer and devotion and fasting and and our religion is all a sincere devotion to the lord because he made us righteous never let religion become your savior Never let religion lead to exclusivity that no one else is good enough unless they get themselves cleaned up first. No. We share the common ground with those pimps and gangbangers. We are all sinners needing the grace of Jesus Christ. And inside the church, never start looking down your nose at others because they're not fulfilling your religious expectations enough. No. All of us need the grace of God. Encourage faithfulness but don't condemn and never get to the point where you're sitting in community group and you're not willing to be vulnerable because you think the key is I got to have it all together I got to be practicing enough religion I've got to have no sin I've got to be right that's not what this is all about what it is about is Reminding each other sincerely we need Jesus because we're not right and we're gonna fail and we're gonna fall short but let's keep on meeting together and spurring each other on because Jesus is our righteousness does that make sense you can't squeeze Jesus into a self-righteous system because it's Jesus righteousness he explodes that kind of system father I pray that you will guard us That you will protect us because you tell us in verse 39 no one after drinking the old wine desires the new because the old is better lord i know from that verse that that means that we as sinful prideful people prefer self-righteous systems so guard us from the constant tendency to drift towards religious righteousness self-righteousness when the only righteousness that saves is jesus righteousness and it's in his name we pray amen
0: alone in my sorrow and dead in my sin Lost without hope With no place to begin Your love made a way To let mercy come in When death was arrested My life began Ash was redeemed Ash was redeemed Only beauty remains My orphan heart given a name my morning grew quiet and my feet rose to dance when death was arrested my life began oh your grace so free oh your grace so free washes over me you have made Your endless love pouring down on us You have made us new, now life begins with you Released from my chains, I'm a prisoner no more My shame was a ransom, you faithfully bore canceled my debt, and he called me his friend. Darkness rejoices though it
2: We have been challenged today to not turn our religion into our Messiah, but to be sincere in our faith, to be sincere in our devotion to the Lord, that our religious practices are all about Jesus, that it is Jesus, Jesus righteousness that makes us righteous. You guys can be seated just for a few moments as I have a few announcements. If you're a guest here with us, I just want to say thank you for, for joining us Um, There are two ways you can get connected, and one of the ways is if you text NFCC Guest to 97,000, that'll just send you an electronic Connect card, and if you fill out that information, I'll reach out to you, answer any questions that you have, um, and also let you know what are the best ways for you to get connected. And then second, if you text NFCC Info to 97,000, you can subscribe to our weekly newsletter. And on that weekly newsletter, there's a a whole lot of information, but um, the most important, I would say, is that the calendar list there. Um, And the calendar is going to let you know events that we have coming up, and we have just a few events coming up, and one I want to tell you about is just our Defend the Faith event tonight, which is for our, our ninth grade students And Jake Jake Borum, our student minister, is going to walk through as a ninth grader, as a parent of a ninth grader as well, how do you defend your faith as you walk through high school. And so that's happening tonight. If you haven't registered, you can register online. And you also see there's a couple more Milestone Map events coming up, First Steps and Bible Workshop. And then also, I just want to tell you about our family fest that's coming up next week. Uh, Next week, we'll we'll have our family fest. There'll be live music, food trucks, petting zoo, uh, bounce houses. So come out, grab a friend, invite a friend. This is an event where we can outreach to our neighbors surrounding us. And so we want you all to be a part of it. It's going to be a good time. So come and join us. If you want more information about any of these events, you can go online or you can come see me at the information desk right out in the lobby. That'd be great. Now, if you would stand, and I'm going to leave you guys with this benediction. This benediction comes from Hebrews 13. Now, may the God of peace who brought again from the dead, our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will working in us that working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ to him be glory forever and ever amen you guys are dismissed